I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, supported by La Cold here with Benji Nyson for Giro d'Italia at stage 14, the first proper mountaintop finish of the Giro so far from Cittadella to Monte Zonca-Lan. It starts actually near the factory in which our show partner, Lacole, produces their kits uh, in the shadow of Monte Grappa, but they don't do Grappa today. 205 kilometers long, pretty flat for the first 120, 130 Ks. They do a Cat 2, that's not too bad, Forcella Monte Rest, 10.5%, 6.1%. Descent. A bit of a tricky descent, actually, and then a short rise afterwards, then a valley of about 30 kilometers where it could all come back together if need be, and then the Zonka land. The other side of it, not the normal, or this is the, I don't want to say easier, not as difficult side of Zonka land. 14.1Ks, 8.5% the average, but it's all about the last 3Ks. The first or 11Ks is pretty regular, 7 to 8% seems to be the standard sort of stuff, no real pinches. The last three Ks, 12 and a half, 12.5%, 13.3% for those last three with pinches up to 20, 22%. So really nasty. I think we went with break yesterday just because we didn't know who would usurp Ineos. But a break went, but who was chasing it, Benji? Uh, and who was in that breakaway? Because a bit of a funny start to this stage. It took a while for the breakaway to actually... Uh come out of the peloton and there were quite a few attacks before we saw someone get away i think the first rider to attack was thomas the end and that didn't really go too far because i think like half a minute later he was caught so a lot of attacks kept following sigan even tried once because of the intermediate sprint and stage all that stuff and eventually a a group got away and a group included ponomar tratnik russia albanese fortunato bennett affini Oliveira, molma mosca and Govi. We also had a moment where Fiorelli was trying to pass an Astana rider on the right and then bridge over, and uh, he actually tried to do that. So uh, I think I'm actually not sure he actually made it to the group because I haven't really noticed him since him trying to cross to the uh, breakaway. But knowing this format of the breakaway, we've got Ponomar, the 18 year old, so I was pretty hyped about it. We've got Trotnik, I was pretty hyped about that as well. And we had two teammates, Affini for George Bennett. And we have Mosca for Molema. This is very important because this offers a ruler or at least a domestique in this group to pace between the valleys of the climbs and before the climb and even on the, on the uh, middle climb of the stage. And, and the that's base what's and the early here. slopes. Yes, exactly. If they are still there by that point, because we wouldn't know that yet at that point in the race. And to be fairly honest, I was like, well, that's a pretty strong breakaway. I think that with Trotnik as ruler, you've got a Fini who can ride his whole soul out the entire stage for your boy, George Bennett. And um, yeah, I, I was thinking, okay, this is a decent group, but the tempo, uh, I don't know. Puccio was pacing at a certain point, but then stopped immediately. And Ineos didn't care, as we said yeah, yesterday. Exactly. That's why I was like, oh, come on, Zonkalan, surely, surely there's got to be the GC guy winning. 
And Benji's like, yeah, but look at how the Giro has been ridden so far and it, Ineos in the ascendancy with Bernal and that's what happened. Ineos, when they're pulling, they're letting the brake go, go, go. And then eventually 30 k's later, after it's all settled in with a gap at about six minutes or so, <laughs> yes. Astana start pulling and it's like the, the stage that Bernal won, he then, uh, what's the one? The, the little gravel one, the baby gravel stage, uh, Campo Felice, he won that because FDJ kept the gap at three minutes all day and they didn't let it go up too much. So why let it go to six and then you've got to work that much harder to bring it back? Just start pacing at three or two. Anyway, I start to start pacing. They're obviously interested in Vlasov. They get no help from anybody. No EF, no bike exchange. As we said, Ineos not helping. So EF for Carthy, I picked him for this stage because of Anglaru that he won. Uh, bike exchange got Yates and they got Nieve as well. And Schultz, who I'd like on this climb to help. Quickstep weren't helping. So just, yeah, just Astana pulling. And that's pretty much how the, the stage played out. Uh, Astana pulling all day. They get to the Category 2. The gap's holding about 5 minutes 50. It goes down to 5 minutes at the top of that Porticello Monterrey Category 2 climb. Afini is doing a stellar job for George Bennett in that breakaway. I mean, he's almost extending it on his own. And then Astana attacked on the descent, Benji. It was a sleepy stage GC-wise. And then all of a sudden, Astana on the attack again, which we saw all the time in the Basque Country. Um, and what did you see there in terms of Astana attacking? Was it just a deliberate attempt? Were they forcing pace? Or was, did someone just lose the wheel behind them? I think a combination of both, because I didn't exactly see them like hammered in the descent, but they are pretty known for their descents, Astana. I think a lot of their riders are actually very good at descending. It's one of the skills that that team is great at and despite not having Yoni Zagiri here for example or Aramburu they still have riders that can really smash those ascents like crazy and a gap opened up like you said a gap that opened up with seven riders at the front at a certain point that was I think three domestiques for Vlazov we had Bilbao and we had Bernal with I think Castro Viejo in that first group then a gap of honestly a good 15 seconds to the next yeah, group solid. which was basically everybody except for the team of Remco, who was caught in a third peloton, again, 15 seconds behind. So that gap in the descent started so quickly, and the gap was suddenly huge. Like, 15 seconds pretty huge after a descent, to be honest. I think so. Definitely if it's like three pelotons. And we saw them slowly crawl back after Coffee's team started pacing in the second peloton, and Remco's team started pacing in the third peloton. And while that looked all amazing and it was really cool by Astana, I'm afraid that it didn't really go anywhere at that point. And, well, they came back to the, uh, well, the second group came to the first group and then the Demco group caught up as well. So that was it for that move. But at the front of the race, we had the breakaway, honestly, working well together because you have yep. two riders that are riding their soul out. They're burying themselves, Athene and Mosca. Looking at Afini's face, it looks like he was genuinely dying trying to keep Bennett ahead of the peloton. And the gap wasn't actually going down while Astana was pacing. He extended it. Yeah. And so the song clan, it says, you know, 13 Ks, 8%, but there's climbing beforehand and it's like 2 to 4%. And the gap was at 520 as the peloton will come together, Astana pacing again. The gap's at 5.20. I think Astana are pacing with Pronsky, small guy, Kazaki, uh, climber. He's 22. He's actually quite good, but he's a climber. He's pacing, and then Afini's on the front, and Mosca pacing the break. And this is how gaps, because you always think, oh, how is the break getting more time? We've got this massive engine, Afini pacing. He put a minute almost into 
the peloton going into the base. And they went into the base of the Zonkland with a six-minute 23 advantage on the peloton. Six minutes and 23. And I know it's a hard climb, but that's a big, big gap as long as people don't blow up. And no one was really – and they'd all worked together. No one's really attacked at that point. And it's still a start of pacing. Still a start of pacing, and the gap's not really going down. Okay, five twenty and co, and etc. What do you see in the break, Benji? The, the odds are starting really, to really shift in their favour. You thinking Bennett and Molima were being overrated, given what we've seen so far in the in the Giro, and maybe Molima's pedigree on these sort of climbs compared to other riders. And what were you seeing from? I think other riders attacking early, Oliveira wanting to keep the pace up, etc. After Afini dropped off. Yeah, when Afini dropped off and Mosca ended up dropping off as well, I was honestly looking at the odds of the breakaway on, on betting websites because I don't want to promote betting in any way. And whatever we say on the podcast is not financial advice. Let that be clear. Unless but I was checking. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I lost money today, okay? Uh, <laughs> uh, on, the, on the finish today, uh, just before the Zonkolan started, I was looking at it and I think it had... Uh, Bennett in first and Molemine in on same. Uh, I think three twenty five or something. Yeah. Uh, Which basically means for the uninitiated. Yep. The reason we refer to that is is because it's like an indication. Yep. It's the implied probability of what people think are going to win. So Bennett, he went down to two dollars. That means people think he's got a fifty percent chance of winning the stage. Molemine was in at four. So it was really everyone's Bennett Molemine Bennett Molemine. That's why I'm asking Benji, what was he looking at slightly yep. differently from the other guys in the group? I was looking at the other riders because I wasn't so confident in Bennett and Molema. We have seen, honestly, not too much from them the last week and a half. I think Bennett had that breakaway stage with Brambilla, but a good Bennett drops them on the climb beforehand and is not caught up with that uh, with that battle with Brambilla afterwards. He should have dropped them on the climb if he was in good form. And Molema, he was unable to get into uh, that breakaway, I think. Well, he got in that breakaway well, a few weeks ago, him. yes, and Mater destroyed him completely. So. Like, to be honest, I, I wasn't too confident but in the both of them. And I was looking at the others, and I've said this entire Giro that I was looking at Trotnik to win a stage somewhere in the Giro. He's been really underrated when it comes to his climbing. And the guy can push some real watts. But I was scared for the last three kilometers for Trotnik. But he was at odd 81. That means that how much chance do you have if you got odd 81? 1.2%. Uh, 1.1%. Crazy. And I think Fortunato was about 40, 45 at that point. And I decided to uh, throw, uh, I think, 10 bucks on, on Trotnik on. And on I said Benji was crazy. Thing. I said, what are you thinking? I said, he's the heaviest set guy. Yep. Like, he's, he's not like a tiny climber type. I see him more of an engine. What are you thinking? Whereas Fortunato is like five foot six. 58 kilos yep. dripping wet. And I think Fortunato is the guy that really got underrated in yep. this breakaway. Looking at it simplistically, the last 3Ks are at 13%. Who is the skinniest, lightest, smallest guy in this break? Lorenzo Fortunato, Agnolo, Cometa, the Pro Conti team. And he had a couple of decent results. He's been there or thereabouts. The Giro, 21st in the San Giacomo climb. Uh, the Guardia San Fremondi, 24th, Campo Felice, 23rd. Now, these are results, nothing to write home about, but he's competent. And then you've got, this is the first really steep mountaintop finish. And so the way that the climb played out for the breakaway, who would go on to win this stage, is cat and mousing, people attacking Bennett, 
I initially thought he's playing it smart, trying to ride smooth watts, allowing other people to close wheels. But actually, I just don't think he was that strong today. Same with Molima. Oliveira was doing a lot of pacing. Tratnik goes clear in the saddle. He's put on what looks like a 34 cassette on the back cleverly today. And he just wants to ride his tempo before the steep stuff starts to get a bit of a gap because he knows he's going to struggle there. And he's just riding his pace instead of everyone else attacking each other. Eventually, Fortunato bridges to him. Those two, I think, is key, really start working well together until the last bit, until the last three Ks. They even go into two Ks to go yep. with all together. Uh, and we're thinking, but the, we're, at that point, we're thinking, this is trouble for Tratnik because, yeah, we're, we're, how concerned were you for Tratnik Benji when he's with Fortunato going into the last two Ks? Did you think, like, was there literally anything he could do differently? I, I was completely f- um, believing the the dream, but no, nah, <laughs> I, I got to be honest, I, like in the chat that you were in, I was saying, oh, I need hope right now because I don't have it. And that's because, well, you said it. He weighs more than Fortunato. He does have a bit of a punch, but he doesn't have the punch for three kilometers long on a steep section. Fortunato, he's been climbing really well this Giro. He wasn't necessarily a full climber before this Giro. I I, I thought he was more punchy sometimes, but in the end, I think that at the end of this, well, at the start of that three kilometer section, I I was scared. I was generally scared. And definitely the moment that I looked at Tratnik's face, in the wheel of Fortunato, and it looked like he was biting one of his teeth, teeth out. That, that wasn't uh, amazing <laughs> well, was, to see. Well, well, he was biting his teeth, and Fortunato looked like he was crying on the <laughs> steepest part. So, I don't know, bad facial expressions from the both of them. Both of them. And the reason they're clear, and we're like, these guys, one of these two is going for the win. They've put 45 seconds on Molima, Bennett, and Oliveira. And when, when we saw Oliveira pacing for Molima and Bennett, we're like, they're done because he's not strong guy but he's not the guy you need to bridge this back and about behind a starter of stop pacing and Ineos are pacing but they hadn't really before the first three k's they were keeping the gap pretty stable we'll go back to the gc men in a second but they're three four minutes plus behind fortunato goes clear and we didn't really see him attack tratnik it's more just like he can keep doing the watts and turning over the gear on these 20% sections. And Tratnik starts to zigzag, and it's Fortunato just able to keep going, winning the stage, his first pro win on the Zonkalan. Incredible for the 25-year-old. The first win of Yolo Cometa in the Giro d'Italia, surely their biggest win to date. And how much did he put into Tratnik? See, 26 seconds so they were pretty much together and Tratnik was about 10-15 seconds behind and just kept going out because yeah once you crack on the Zonkland you're done eventually the next best of the breakaway was Covey actually who had sat on for a lot and then started to attack and bridge back but back in the GC group Benji when you saw Ineos pacing was it a ferocious pace I don't really feel like it was when I saw everyone four wide I mean did you think that Anyone should really be in trouble? And was anyone really put in trouble before the first three kilometers? Yeah, not really. Bernal had about, I think, 12 teammates today. So by the time <laughs> they started the Zonkalan, uh, they, they could just... <laughs> Only five. No, 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 no. I count Astana <laughs> as well. So <laughs> <laughs> We'll talk about that in a minute. Okay. Um, on the final climb, um, I think that the tempo indeed was not too high from them. I think that they knew that they need to make it until the last three kilometers with at least like one teammate left. Uh, because on that last three kilometers, you don't have the benefit of drafting. You can't just you can't just have a rider ahead of you and benefit from that. There's near to 0% drafting, I would say. I'm not a math genius, but I'm pretty sure of that. 
So by the time they hit that, they need to have max one rider left. And uh, Bernal has to do most of it alone from that point onwards, because then it becomes a battle of 1v1s in groups and so forth, trying to kind of, I think, actually, I think like the one reason that I would have a teammate with me at that point is as mental support. Because you're like, oh, that in can still help me. In the Vuelta on the Angler, didn't Koos was helpful for yep. Roglic, I feel like, mentally. Yep. Um, I, I feel like it, it does help a little bit, definitely, especially for certain riders. Uh, but yeah, Ineos pacing first with Moscon. He blows up then Narvaez, long pull, strong pull for Narvaez. Very good for Ineos pulling him in for, instead of Sosa. Then it was Castroviejo. Not a strong pull. The group was bunching up. You could see Bora moving up with Gross, Schartner. I think it looked like Ineos, they were definitely running it defensively, and this is why uh, the break was able to win. Then it was Martinez, short pull, and we saw as they got, this is then brings us to the two Ks to go or so, and we saw an attack from Simon Yates, the man who's been waiting in the wings for I don't know how long. Benji, maybe it was almost with a kilometer to go that yep. at times it, it kind of warps because it takes so long to do a K at these gradients. Yeah, bike exchange attacking off the pace of Martinez, who was riding within himself pretty clearly. Avonapol was dropping, though, off that pace, and you could see him distancing. He's just slowly going backwards. Formalo and Co. had dropped, obviously, at that point, and Nibali dropped ages ago. And, yeah, Simon Yates, Benji, did you – I kind of – we expected this today. Yeah, we said it, uh, I think, yesterday that, well, not necessarily expecting it, but we thought that this could happen, something like that, because he was under the radar for the um, majority of the Giro so far. He kept popping up here and there, but he was never really losing much time in the back. And that offers opportunities. If you gradually improve over the first two weeks of a Grand Tour, that means that you're likely peaking in the third week. And I was scared for that with Simon Yates. I think that... He's one of the more inconsistent riders usually, but he's played this Giro so far relatively perfectly in the sense that he lost time here or there. But he seems to be pulling through and seems to be becoming one of the better climbers by the uh, third week here. So if he can keep that up, that's going very, very well for him. And he, he made that move on that section. I think Bernal was the only person that could follow. And everybody behind was cracking. I think that Vlasov was one of the first ones to crack, despite Astana pacing the entire stage. And Caruso was, I think, in the group just ahead of Vlasov. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. And I think there were two other people in that group, but I can't actually fully say who was still in that group. But the De Koenigs were all gone. Like, it was 1v1 Yates and Bernal from that point. Like, at that point, it was clear that Yates is very strong here. Bernal is very strong here. And nobody else comes near them on this steep section. Sure. And they weren't going to come back. And eventually we saw there was heavy fog on top of the Zonkalan. Bernal's appeared. And we're like, has he dropped? No. He'd gone clear, attacked Simon Yates at some point. Right at the end, his trait, like he's almost like the trademark Roglic surge, Benji. And he surged right at the end and huge effort from him. And right, like, I don't know when it was, in the last 300 metres, but still it's, it takes a long time to do 300 metres at the end, looking like and confirming that he is the strongest rider in this race, gapping Simon Yates. Before we get to the full top 10 results, I want to mention our show partner, LaColla, already said they produced their kit from where this stage started or near there in Cittadella. They produced it in the base of Monte Grappa. They brought out their new Pro Air jersey that dropped recently. It's the product of extensive wind tunnel testing, and I've got to say, it looks pretty 
sick. You can get it in sky blue, black, as well as navy. That's just out recently, and there's free delivery on all orders over 60 euro and whatever that is in your local currency. Uh, LRCP listeners can also get 20% off all products with the code all caps LRCP20 LRCP20. So thanks to Lacole for supporting the podcast. But now onto the stage 14 results. Fortunato first and Tratnik Covey of the GC men. Egan Bernal on 143 behind Fortunato. So he, easy win for the break in the end. 11 seconds behind is Simon Yates. Further back, the next best GC man, Danny Martinez at 222 in a group with Caruso and Ciccone. That suggests to me kind of confirmation that Danny Martinez was riding within himself on this climb and he also was trying to, I think they're trying to keep him as a second GC threat for the stages to come, which isn't a bad play. I'm very impressed by Ciccone's performance. Dan Martin at 2.27. Israel started to pull at the base of the Zonkland despite not offering any help all day. Dan Martin's still at now over eight minutes probably back on Bernal. No one knows what he's doing, so not even himself. So, <laughs> yeah, I literally don't know what Israel's doing. Like, to, were they going for the stage? Yep. If he got in the break, I mean, we've already done this topic, but if he, if he was in the break today, he wins. Dan Martin, so, yep. Uh, Buchmann lost... I think about 30 seconds plus on Bernal over that 40 seconds. So quite big gaps actually on the Zonkland, even though like, even though I have to say it was not an explosive race for the majority of it, it was a welter style stage in my view. They just, yeah, the big GC group until the last three Ks, then it explodes and then we don't see anything because there's so much fog. Uh, so yep. maybe not the best viewing experience or that exciting, but the GC gaps are large and there's a lot of change in the GC. And I think that's a function of the stage being 205 kilometers, whereas the Angleroo 150 or less. Yep. Uh, but here's the revised GC. Bernal first, Yates moves up to second, 133, Caruso 151. Vlasov jumps down to fourth on 157. Carthy jumps down to not a good day for him, 211. Bookman stays the same, 236. Ciccone moves up on 303. Remco moves down further, dropping, losing over a minute 30 to Bernal on 352. Martinez moves up to 354. And Bardet moves up to 431. Foss down to 11th on 537. But yeah, Benji, Astana and Vlasov, what are your thoughts on how they rode today? So yesterday on the pod, we mentioned that there's going to be at least one team that will make the mistake of pacing throughout the stage. I find it a mistake, definitely. Uh, I'll go through the uh, details of that in a second. Of pacing, knowing that you're pacing Ineos to the bottom of the last climb where they will take over. You know that from the moment that you start pacing. Now, it starts with when they start pacing. First of all, the gap is already around six minutes the moment that Astana starts pacing. What? Like... Yeah, problem number one. Problem number one. Problem number two, they were pacing slower than the breakaway. So how are you going to catch them in the end if you do that? Let so, me just expand on that problem. Yeah, They deliberately made a decision after Forcella Monte Rest to slow up so that they could keep the whole team together until the base of the Zonkalan. And they were just pacing slowly with Kronsky. They made that decision. They didn't. They stopped pacing with Luis Leon. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was problem number two. Yep, exactly. That's actually a very good point that I even didn't write down yet, but... That's indeed problem number two. Problem number three is that Vlasov has been dropped every single climb so far. And, well, how can you have such confidence to say, okay, I'm going to put my entire team on the table to try and 
win the stage while they already have six minutes the moment that we start pacing and we're pacing slower than people in the breakaway so we're not actually getting any closer and at the bottom of the climb they're going to have more time than the moment that we started pacing so yeah that that story didn't really last next to that the people in the breakaway Athenian and mosca you know that those two people are going to keep pacing if you pace with two riders for the entire half of the stage in the peloton that's the same as them pacing with two riders at the front for the entire half of the of the of the stage which is Afini, who can ride better than Fellini at the front of a group. I can tell you that. Like, we've seen him ride, I think, yesterday in the sprint, which is a bit weird to say, but it still happened. So that's, for me, a, a third problem, that the moment that they do decide to pace, they decide to pace with two riders, while you know that at the front you've got the same two riders riding that arguably are better riders than the ones you are putting at the front to pace in the peloton so you're not going to get any closer with that it's actually a combined thing with the second point i'm making but next to that what is the difference here so if you if you pace as astana well i'll bring you to a different point first so we're here on ride at martinella the team martinella martinelli the team manager of astana is saying something accordingly as it's zonkalan we're riding because we want to have a champion that wins the stage. You want to have a champion winning on the stage at the end. Okay, if you're doing that, you need to ride faster in the rankway to catch them. That's one thing. Next to that, what would you do if you don't have an Italian as a team manager? Likely not see the stage as that opportunity because, well, Garfi and EF, same situation, and they decided not to ride. And Garfi beat Vlasov on Angliru. So we can look at that as a bit of a comparison there. I think that Astana had in no way the need to ride on the stage. And I think it has oh whenever i don't, Movistar... I don't think it's that big a problem i don't think i disagree a, I, I don't think a star i don't think vlasov lost any more time today time yes of, correct because of because of what astana did i think they had a crack it didn't work out at the end of the day ineos did not pay zonkalan that hard they did not shred the group large gc group still going into the last three k's vlasov okay he's got no teammate teammates on the zonkalan but no one attacked him early on the stage and he didn't have to close the gap where a draft matters. I guess the last three Ks, it's every man for himself and he just didn't have the legs. So I guess it didn't cost them any more time, but it, to your point, Benji... It cost them his entire si- team for the next week. Like, they well, won't be yeah, done after yeah. this, but they will have completely spent True. them on this stage. While That's a fair point. There's so many other stages this week that it fits so much and better. Flasov said on the podcast to us yesterday, uh, last year, <laughs> not yesterday, last year he said, six to eight percent is my preferred gradients. Don't really like the steep stuff as much. Not my preferred gradients. He's, he said this, it's not his preferred gradients. And so this Zon Clan, they basically did not, it's not tempo, but they didn't shred the group in EOS up to three Ks. And then Yates just hit it and gapped everyone with Bernal on his wheel. And so you've just got this massive surge that Vlasov can't respond to. So it just didn't seem to be the right stage for Vlasov as well to do it. But what about Simon Yates, Benji? Do you think he's a real threat for Bernal now a minute 30 back? Do you Are you surprised Bike Exchange didn't pace? I mean, they had Nick Schultz. I'd like, I think I'd criticise them a little bit more. They got Nick Schultz finishing 20th on the stage and you remember got breakaway guys up there. He finished it with even a pole. I don't blame them. You, you wouldn't have paced knowing that Yates wanted to attack, or do you just think Yates wanted to just, if he felt I think good, it he benefits felt good. him. 
I think it benefits him that you're playing the under the radar card you've been playing for a week and a half. I think that benefits them because Simon Yates is not the one people have been looking at for a week and a half now. And if he would start pacing before the final climb, then every single team would be looking at Yates to make that move at the end. Now, to be honest, he'd still make the move if they have if they would have paced. But the thing is, what difference would it have made? Like, if you pace here, you have every other team has climbers that have been dropped by Bernal on every uphill finish. And on this climb, if you use your entire team beforehand without knowing whether that would even succeed, while you've got a plenty of other stages that are perhaps more fitting to make a bit of such a move, because then you can try something on a climb, for example, on that stage 16, for example. If you start going ham on a random climb there and you, you try and do something there, then you've got the sense to work with and so forth. Here, you, here you've got an actual climb to work with at the end. And if you have just that one climb at the end, you're literally bringing Ineos to the bottom of the climb. They're going to pace for six kilometers until they hit that three kilometer section. They had one rider left even. That's, that was a bit unexpected. So great stuff there. And they didn't even have Sivakov here. So imagine imagine yeah. if Sivakov was here. Yeah, it would have been and, dropped for five minutes. Yeah, and Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> As I'm saying, Sivakov would have been dropped and lost four minutes. <laughs> I, think, I think Martinez is better on this sort of terrain. But yeah, I think so as well. I, it's tough to say. I mean, it, it's in your domination right now. For me, it, it, it hurts more because I feel like whenever Movistar does this exact strategy, people criticize them for it. And whenever that happens, well, I think that a lot of other teams get a free ride when it comes to tactics sometimes. Astana is a team that has had a lot of criticism for tactics as well in the past, to be honest. But... I genuinely believe that today they made a mistake. It didn't cost them more time with Vlasov, but it did cost them a lot of energy with their teammates that, honestly, without them pacing the entire stage, the stage would have finished exactly the same. I think I'm just so reluctant to criticize teams for trying. And we've seen teams not since Lander crashed, no GC teams really trying this year because Ineos is so strong. And, and I didn't want to, I never criticized, I don't think, Bahrain for trying in the tour last year in the third week. And it, it came to nothing. And you got that, you know, the scared Lander face meme almost erupts from that. And I, that's why I'm so reluctant to criticize the team for having a Yeah, crack. but that's a different stage, in my opinion. Like, I know, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, the Giro, it's been a bit conservative so yeah, far and and benji is right on balance that this probably wasn't the stage for astana to do it and it seems just based on martinelli saying go for it today <laughs> without really considering it all but um yeah i just it's, it's a shame because we've not really seen too many other gc teams take it up and hopefully it doesn't mean that other teams are looking at what happened to astana today and they're thinking oh i don't want that to be me in the later stages speaking of the later stages Stage 15 from Grado to Carizia. Bit of an easy stage for the GC guys. 146Ks. It goes into Slovenia tomorrow. Uh, short stage two. And we've got some a circuit. They do 1.7Ks at 8.1%. They do that climb three times. The Ciclamino point sprint is before that climb, but after a 1.2K, after a climbing section, I think Bora might pace there to try and put, it's all under pressure because Sagan's not that far ahead of him in the mm-hmm. Ciclamino points and then they'll ease up. And then there's the last of that 1.7K, 8.1% climb is with 17Ks to go, short descent, and then at 600 meter, 8.1% pinch 
just at the base of that, there's bonus seconds too, which won't concern. So again, that crest was 6Ks, 5.5Ks to go. There's also a short rise in the last 3, or last K even. Um, there's a couple of little rises. I think this is Sagan all over tomorrow, and I think Bora are going to absolutely slap that last climb, and it'll be Nitsolo hanging on for dear life as the probably quickest <laughs> man left. Who do you have probably for tomorrow's stage? Already. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like... Indeed, Sagan is the uh, all-out favorite favorite if the peloton takes this home, and I wouldn't see a reason for Bora not to try and bring this home with the peloton. But they fell on stage three, so there's a possibility that they fell in doing so. If, for example, we've got a breakaway, and we know that Tratnik will probably try and be in it because it's in Slovenia, despite yeah, being in the be breakaway good. today. Yeah, he's then strong. Then that would really fit him, but he just he just wrote second Could on the Zalpalon, so <laughs> he might be, be a bit tired. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, I was looking at Trotnik for tomorrow's stage, but now that he's second on the Zonkline, I don't see that happening. And I was looking at a Moscon for this finish as well, but he crashed the other day. So I'm, and he was like earlier in the train today than I expected him to be. So I think that that crash might actually have taken something away from him. And if that's the case, then I don't know if he's going to get even a leash to get away here. I think that they're going to play it defensively because they're winning the Giro right now by quite a, a bit of an advantage. So. Oh, I, Sagan. Can I Sagan. offer any other rider for this than Sagan? I'd love like, to see a, a Feeney. I'd love to see a Feeney go on the break again, <laughs> get a chance. Um, probably a little ah. bit pinchy for him. Moscon's the obvious name, but he won't get. Fellini is quite nice out of the breakaway. Fabio Fellini, I'd like to see, but he might be yeah, on. He, wrote, he might be tired after working yeah. for Bernal today. Oh. <laughs> um, Old Chimalai is a good one. Chimalai, can they get him? Chimalai they, won't, would be they, good. they won't send him in the break though, so he'd have to beat Sagan from the group. So Chimalai is a good option, yeah. as well as I don't know. That's about it. I think I, I just like Sagan a lot for this stage. I think they'd, they'll be looking at this one pretty yeah. hard, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, Agreed. that's tomorrow's stage. I think a couple of just one more bit of news from the Giro d'Italia that Benny, Benji and I want to round off was Dylan Groenewijk and DNFing or DNSing today's stage, as well as. David Decker for Jumbo Visma. I just wanted to throw to Benji to see what he thought about the Gronewegen late inclusion for TJV and, yeah, at the Giro and how it went for them and whether he thinks it was the right decision. I think that the decision-making around is, or if, I don't know, it's, let's be honest, everything we say now is completely in hindsight. I think before the Giro started, we were pretty hyped really. to see. We, we criticised it before. Yeah, true. I think that, the risk that they took was that Decker and Grunewagen have not raced together and have not done a lead-out and sprint in a race together, which means it's risky to do that. So I think that Decker, I don't remember him ever being a lead-out before, which... Why would he be? He's always been the star when he's been yeah. in under 23. And then even at UAE, he was, he was trying for himself. So I don't think he ever has any experience in it. Yeah, and like it, it, it isn't automatically that when you're a sprinter, you're a good lead out, for example. The other way around, if Runeweg was doing so for Decker, it would have been pretty difficult as well. But they had Decker plan to try and sprint at the Giro. I think that with the results that in hindsight they have, that Decker would have been just as much, would have just as much chance to get in such a situation or such a finish than Runeweg so far because he didn't podium a stage if i recall correctly he was fourth on the first one or was he third i don't know uh but like all in all in hindsight it doesn't look good but 
there's the opposite argument where we don't know if Decker was overly tired or something like he wasn't that great overall, but maybe that's as an influence as a consequence from him being selected and then having to do lead out work that you're not experienced too much with. Uh, I don't know, just all in all, I think that the decision making, I can't criticize it in the way that I'll say, oh, they shouldn't have brought Hulunovay into the Giro. It was also a blind guess for them, just as much as it was for me, for example. I find it sad that Decker didn't get an opportunity for a sprint, and that's kind of my take on that, I guess. Bit of a failed experiment from my perspective. I think, yeah, sent him to Hungary. I got the video rights there. Could have made some better clips, plus he could have got a couple (laughs) of wins under the belt instead of having a tough time at the Giro. And I think if I'm David Decker, I'm a little bit irritated. You're like, really? So I'm going to have my opportunity to sprint. It's kind of like what they did with Foss. It's like Foss does well in the TT and then they drop him back in the first climbing stage to help Bennett. And it's a waste of time. It's like, oh, David Decker is going to do lead out for Gronewegen and Gronewegen doesn't get a top three in any of the sprints. And like the, the sprint field here after Ewan's gone, not exactly like the best no you and no bennett so yeah i think a bit of a failed experiment from that perspective and i'm not sure if i'm david decker i would have been too happy either um so yeah and that it also it put gronenwegen in the spotlight a lot and the jakobsen comments came out i don't think it would have been the same way if he went to hungary and just got a few races under his belt so yeah it it uh strange and We'll see how that plays out with David Decker. Maybe Decker was just didn't have the legs either because it's his first Grand Tour and the Giro has been so difficult. But now we're going to move on to another topic that happened in Andalusia today for you podcast listeners. Here it is. Vuelta Andalusia Ruta Ciclista del Sol Benji, the last stage. We won't do a full race group recap. Two pro stage, Miguel Angel Lopez ended up winning GC, but there was a massive, or a nasty crash, not a massive pileup, but a nasty crash in, at the end with Daryl Impey and Rob Stannard. I'll just go through the last sort of corner to explain what happened. Ethan Hayter's getting a lead out, and Ineos completely stuff it up. Hayter tries to lose the wheel, but then tries to keep the wheel, but he ends up just riding in the wind with his teammate 10 metres ahead of him, and then he just starts to sprint. So Ineos completely botched this. There's a small group of 12 riders that are broken clear. Hayter was the favourite. Also in that group, the quick men, you have Rob Stanner for bike exchange. You had Gertemai pacing hard, keeping that gap, as well as Daryl Impey. They come into the final. Hayter starts to sprint early. Impy follows him, getting a slipstream, moves to the left. It's a straight finish. We've even got a line on the road. Stannard comes from deep, gets into Impy's slipstream, starts to move to the left, and Daryl Impy moves from his line to the left, collides his back wheel with Rob Stannard's front wheel. Stannard sprinting straight. Stannard was going to win this stage, and they both go down hard. Impy onto his right shoulder and Stannard down. Stannard gets straight back up, and Impy look pretty banged up straight away you could see Stannard remonstrating with Impey through his sunnies at him he's pointing at him this is with Impey lying on the ground and I, I feel for Stannard I thought I'd be pretty pissed off too how did you see this sprint Benji you've looked at it pretty closely and analyzed you know that where the line was etc um who's at fault here so firstly before I dive into who's at fault I'd like to explain why the certain person is at fault we know that there's a rule in the UCI book that says you can't deviate from your lane and endanger somebody. So three parts of that rule. 
you can't deviate. During that deviation, you can't endanger anybody. And deviating happens when you go off your lane. And this is after launching your sprint. Now, they were launching their sprint. They had launched their sprint. And MP was riding straight ahead to the line. So there was no one ahead of him or something. He was... He had launched a sprint already. That's it was like super 70 near. meters to go, 50, yes. 70 meters to go. Exactly. He's riding almost literally in the middle of the road with Hater on his right and Rob Stannard in his wheel. Rob Stannard decides to go left around Impy. And I can't tell you if Impy saw that Rob Stannard was there, but he went to the left. He deviated from his lane, which is clear because suddenly he was on about... 25% of the road. So that means that at least a quarter of the road, he moved to the left during that and he hit, well, the upcoming sprinter. And that is Rob Stannard. You cannot do that. You can't deviate like that. And you are at fault if you do that. Impy is at fault here. Impy broke the deviation rule and Rob Stannard and Impy crashed because of it. Now, I've seen the commentators. I think on on uh, was it um, was it GCN? unbelievable? It's been, it, it's been unbelievable. I'm about to go off, Benji. Yeah. So, in the light of what has happened in the last year with Gronavegan and Jakobsen, with Buani and Jake Stewart, the furor over Buani with Jake Stewart, and like we agreed, you know, three months suspension. We did a video and we're like, yep, three months seems about right for Buani. Reckless in Daniel Stewart. Stewart didn't crash. I know he hurt his hand, but he didn't crash. Go down hard. Stannard is sprinting his straight lane. He's in the last 50 meters. He's going fully for the win. Okay, and people are victim blaming Rob Stannard. Oh, he had his head down for a bit. He had his head down for a bit. He should look where he's going. It's like, well, he can see Impy with plenty of space. He's got plenty of space in front of him. Impy's on his right-hand side. Impy now, the rule doesn't require intent for any wrongdoing. Intent's irrelevant, but Impy looks down twice, and after the second time he looks down, and it's not as obvious as, when Gronenwegen checks, but when he looks down after straight away after the second time, he starts his move across to the left, and he might have known Santa was coming, but we can't know for sure. So Impy, when you look at overhead and you look at the space Benji's drawn, it's clear that Impy's deviated, he's launched his sprint, and the commentator's saying, racing incident. In fact, they're saying, Santa should really mind his front wheel. Oh, there's plenty of space for Stano to go around what? him. Oh, why is Stano angry at the finish? He, it's really bad sports and shit from Stano. It's like, mate, uh, Stanard was about to win. Impy seen him, maybe seen him coming, deviated, chopped his front wheel, and Stanard's gone down at over 60 k's an hour. I'd be pretty pissed off too. And, okay, people are like, oh, well, he could have gone around him. Fabio Jakobsen could have braked. Is it, is, it, are you gonna, is it his fault he crashed? He could have braked, and then he wouldn't have crashed. Does that mean Gronavegan's not at fault? Like, it's just stupid logic like that. If you're sprinting in a straight line, you should be entitled to keep to that line. And Benji and I are always on about this. You know why, Benji? Because nothing's going to come of this, I don't think. Yep. Because it's happened during the Giro. It's a smaller two-pro race. Daryl Impey's generally probably seen as a nicer guy. And, yeah, it's no harm, no foul. And it's not. there's going to be no suspensions. He's not Nasser Buwani. Like, What percentage chance do you think there's going to be a UCI disciplinary thing? UCI are going to come out and say something and he's going to get a ban? Five percent, because there's no media that will jump onto this. I think, like with Buhani, his name is big because he had historical events happening. He had historical deviations and so forth. He was also a victim of a lot of deviations, but that was left out a lot of the times. That when he was basically car- character and assassinated during that time. 
Now, do I believe that the punishment that Buhani had was fair? Yes, I did. We had that video yep, last we time. Did. And do I believe that Hirunuang's punishment was relatively fair? Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah, fair in ahead. a vacuum. Fair yeah, in a vacuum. Correct. correct. Because now Daryl Impey will not most likely get a three-month suspension. I think it should be three months, maybe more. Maybe more because you know yep. what? Nasser Buhani had a legitimate racing reason to move to the left to jump on Viviani's wheel, which we mentioned was a mitigating factor. He was just reckless in doing so. Daryl Impey's pretty much just deviated when he's got plenty of space with his lane next to Hater. For what reason? Why is he deviated? And I think we should be encouraging people, if they're capable of doing it, to keep sprinting straight. Now, there's a couple of things, and the reason why he probably won't get uh, suspended is because Bike Exchange, somewhat disappointingly, are trying to hush this up because... As I said, there was criticism of the way Stannard was behaving because Impey's lying on his back hurt and Impey was a teammate of Stannard and on bike exchange for a long time until he moved to Israel Startup Nation this year. And Stannard was angry and he was like, what the fuck did you just do? You knew exactly what you're doing, pointing at him. He was absolutely furious. And if Impey had gotten up and wasn't so hurt, he would have fought. They would have punched on 100%. If Stannard was that mad. Then after the race, you see the bike exchange statement and I think this is a lot of PR dressing. It's not on Stannard's Twitter that I can see. I haven't checked his Instagram. And they're calling it a racing incident. They got a quote from Stannard. Now, I haven't seen him say this. It's just a written quote on their website. I was just unlucky in the final. Um, I did a great sprint but was unlucky with the crash. I'm hoping Daryl's okay. It's not a good way to finish the race, but it's part of racing, and I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think that is complete bullshit. And that's all because MP was probably well-liked in the bike exchange team. They don't want to cause any more trouble with him. They're trying to not get Stannard criticised for pointing the finger. And, yeah, I think I think if you want to know what Stannard really thinks, look at the finish line. Any thoughts on why do you think bike exchange put that out, Benji? Is it just because they like Daryl Impey? It wouldn't surprise me at this point. Like, there's no other reason why I would expect that to happen. Like, if it's another team with a rider that is not connected to them. If Buwani did that. Yeah. Of course, he'd get he'd get murdered for it. Like, <laughs> genuinely, like, Impy does not have the history of this, which means that people are not jumping on it. And I think that it's not only the team that is doing so, but I think media will probably not jump on this event either too much because it's a less-watched event. Cholet was also less-watched, but the only reason that Dad got out was because it was Buhani doing it. And, and, Jake, Stewart, and Jake Stewart fired it up because yeah, Stan exactly. out here is playing it down. Stewart, and not criticizing, but he, he, he played it up on Twitter afterwards. And so that's also an important difference. And, yeah, I mean, comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or let us know, do you see this any differently? The way we see it, two guys sprinting in a straight line, one guy cuts across him. It's pretty clear cut to us. We even have a line in the middle of the – in the road showing what the straight lane is. and. Benji, not only have the media not picked it up, the UCI commissaires haven't. There's no, we don't, we can't tell if Daryl Impey was relegated or not. He's last in the official results. Well, relegated, um, yes, but BQ, don't think so. Or yeah, I don't know. We, we, there's been no real comment from the UCI yep. or the race organizers, so we're in the dark. We're recording this pretty shortly afterwards, but it's just another instance, right? When when people say, and Richard Pluger on Yumba Visma was saying there's inconsistent uh, refereeing from the UCI commissaires about Groenewegen, he is kind of right because, I mean, we'll wait to see if we're wrong, it is inconsistent. And um, I think if if they did 
I just, yeah, the UCI put out the other day, what was that statement, Benji, with the Buhani thing? We're committed to the safety of the rise. We'll enforce these with the, our iron fist. And, yeah, maybe it will be wrong. Hopefully, the point of doing this is that hopefully it brings more attention to it. But hope they're both okay. Hope Stanov's okay. Would have been a nice victory for him, certainly. And I've got to say, Hayter didn't really deserve the win because they completely bungled that finale. But let us know what you think or like the video down below if you're watching on YouTube about this incident. Ciao.